podcast from Two and Mike is, I think it's really cool and um, that is what I wanted to say. Two and a mic. I'm joined in this episode by Tracy of the Road to Tarvalon and Paperback Cabaret for a genuinely exciting and thought-inspiring debate on the women in the French Revolution, who they were, what they did, and what became of them. We weave the connections between today and yesteryear into a tapestry of tragedy that will certainly make you question why so many of these people, their ideas and writings and stories, have remained largely footnotes in history. Tracy is great in how she expresses herself. She lights the path to voicing one's beliefs. She's open and pulls no punches, and is so very entertaining to listen to. Thank you, Tracy. Good luck with your continued projects with Amber, Mary, and Laurel, and I hope see you soon. Well, I'm sitting here with uh, Tracy from The Road to Tarvalon. Tracy, how are you? I'm really good. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's really odd having you and not having Amber, but she's right? here spiritually. <laughs> Always. <laughs> <laughs> my first sister. Absolutely. Death do we part. Yes, indeed. From I whichever from whichever hold in the uh, <laughs> in uh, the no, waist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Before yeah, we yeah. get derailed to wheel of time, no. I've <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. got to be careful because that that path is extremely, uh, how could I say, attractive and it draws us uh, to it. But um, absolutely. But, but you are also of uh, another podcast fame mm-hmm. as well. Now, are you not? Um, I don't know if fame would be the right word, but uh, affiliation, sure, (laughs) potentially fame, who knows. Um, Yeah, uh, one of our our goals with, like after Amber and I have reached like a certain place with Road to Tarvalon, we've discussed having a media company, we've started putting the wheels of that in motion, and I really wanted to have a project that felt like an outlet like a a political historical rant fest in some ways <laughs> like my soul just really needs it um and Road to Tarvalin has a soul soothing aspect to me that's entirely different and entirely necessary and I love it to pieces and so creating our new podcast it's uh paperback cabaret you can find it on Apple, Spotify, Google, I think. I'm trying to still get us all pushed out. It's We're still kind of new. We're still sorting ourselves out. But the idea is like cabaret culture, like as known from 20s, 30s, maybe even a little more late 19th century to right before World War II is like a counterculture kind of rev- like I want not revolution we're not there yet um <clears throat> pardon me uh, it's a counterculture community and 
the ideas are ones that are not necessarily like the mainstream and not necessarily those that are approved of, but it is a necessary outlet for expression and coming together with similar ideas. So it's myself and two of the gals that I went to school with. We went to university together. We met in French class together. Um, Laurel is actually a history major. We went through several courses together. She was in my, in my senior sem class. She was my VP to my president when we were running history club together. Like she's, and Mary is just so, she's so delightfully insightful and educated in a lot of areas that I'm not. Like her background is gender studies and psychology. And so when it comes to like social awareness, she's much more educated on that than I am. And so I really love how she can like pull out things that I don't see that I'm completely not aware of at all and like have light kind of shown on that because I know if it's new for me, it's new for a lot of other people too. So it's just been, we've been, we cover a book. Um, I don't want to see each week. We cover a part of a book each week. And so far we've done, um, the Silence of the Girls, which is historical fiction. Um, our most recent one is Rebecca Traster's Good and Mad, The Revolutionary Power of Women's Anger. And we are beginning City of Darkness, City of Light um, by Marge Piercy. And it is a historical fiction about the French Revolution. So that kind of actually brings us to where you wanted to start. Yeah, right? indeed. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But but also, as you were talking about the, the sort of structure behind Paperback Cabaret, it made me think about a word that we're going to touch upon very soon. And that's basically mm. salonier. Mm-hmm. Um, and it seems to me that you guys are pretty much like the modern digital form of this <laughs> salonier, aren't you? More I love or less. that idea. I do. Um, and I really like the idea of spreading what saloniers were and the fact that like they brought together people to have conversations i would like ours to be like maybe less class based like i feel like that's in some ways that's almost the difference is like i feel like with the cabaret you have an option option of being kind of like rowdy and loud and you don't have to like maintain the social decorum that would potentially need to be adhered to in the Salonier. However, they were still places of like really active conversation and of opposing opinions frequently too. I mean, that's how you make change is by not everybody having the same opinion. So they're actually one of my favorite like areas of French culture, like especially 18th century during the Enlightenment, because that's really when that period kind of starts, is pre-revolution, the Enlightenment period, Rousseau and Voltaire, and all of these names that we associate with, like, great philosophy, like, these works are coming through, and they're being read by women, women of nobility, women of wealth, who have leisure time to read, and then they create these groups, and not to say that I'm overflowing with leisure time, but <laughs> <laughs> I certainly love reading. Mm. So, yeah, my collection of French Revolution books just keeps 
expanding. It's one of my favorites. Mm. My personal library. Yeah. Well, this is why actually it's it's interesting because you know when we were sort of talking about um, having a chat with the paperback cabaret all together, um, but then also mm-hmm. to have a chat just sort of the two of us because we we have certain things in common. So you know we love history, obviously we love mm-hmm. books, um, politics, and social equality, and all of these you know very important issues. Um, mm-hmm. So it was like okay, well why not let's just have a chat of our own, and then afterwards we can bring. Uh, you know your other sort of co-conspirators into you know into a session as well which is a wonderful idea absolutely fantastic love that concept so this is why then you chose the um, let's make it clear the women of the french revolution yeah so this is the Mm -hmm. sort of title of our you know topic today um a wonderful opportunity for me to become uh, familiar with more than simply a general understanding of the French Revolution, um, because I, I have talked about the French Revolution in a previous podcast with a, a friend of mine, Alvaro, and um, w- what we sort of touched upon then was that basically everybody now looks back at the French Revolution with this sense of sort of romanticism. Oh, it's so wonderful, you know, this you know, the change and, you know, fraternity and you know, <laughs> equality and so on. Um, but people seem to forget very easily the, uh, the terror the, the mass killings, um, yes. the inherent classist elements of it as well. And mm-hmm. the fact that, you know, equality was only really equality for some. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes. you know, that's why it's really cool when you said to me very specifically, let's talk about the women of the French Revolution, um, mm-hmm. of which there are quite a number. There are a lot. There's a surprising amount, truthfully, at least I think. To me, it was surprising. Like, that was one of the things that I really enjoyed about with, like, the classes that I took when I was in school. Like, I decided that I was going to go to school for what I loved. And for me, that is history. And I have, I'm really, really fortunate. My university that I went to has a really fantastic history department. And one of my professors was having a uh, French Revolution course, but she was also including a game component to it. So we would actually take on like a role playing aspect while we were in class. And it was like she would give us <laughs> she would give us roles to play and they were real people from the French Revolution. And we had to all be in our um, factions and we had to like fight and give speeches, like not fight physically, but like verbally. But even like the people in our group who were like the sans culottes and the people who were like the more radical if you radical quote unquote if you will of the groups who and like they would come in and they would throw paper around and like yell and bang on stuff like very similar to what could have been expected during those assemblies as they were happening and it was fascinating like we spent at least one or two classes just talking about the role that women had played and I just really had not I had not recognized that this revolution that to me had always felt like so soaked with the male perspective and the tragic fall of the queen, of course, like, like you said, we romanticize this period. We think about it in a way like, well, the 18th century and hooray, like, but like you said, liberty for who? Like if you're fighting for liberty, equality, brotherhood, 
where does that end? And women at that point were also recipients of the Enlightenment. In Paris, you have a population at this time, around 600, 650,000 people live in Paris at this point. So even if you just have a handful of women, and by this I mean like hundreds if not thousands of women who are really upset about this, even if that's just a small part of the Parisian population, it's a large enough portion of the population to advance change. And that's what they did. Like, I I know of their presence in so many other places leading up to, like, what we think of as, like, the kickoff point, like the storming of the Bastille. Uh, was it July 14th, 1789? We have this happen. But it's not until October of that year that we have the Women's March on Versailles. And at this point, they are fed the fuck up. They are done. They are still hungry. Prices are still ridiculous. They can't they can't do anything about it. And the people who are supposed to be doing things about it are just like they've suddenly thrown out the idea that they're there to, excuse me, that they're there to take care of taxes and have decided to completely restructure the government. And while they're doing it, people are still starving. People are still dying. And so the women gathered up through the markets. They banged on pots and pans. They grabbed cannons. They had churches ring bells for them. And I think it was like 20,000 people like descend on Versailles and it's the women who started it, they were the catalyst for that moment. And because of them, they bring the entire National Assembly who were attempting to recreate the government and the king, the queen, the Dauphin, and I believe their daughter as well, all back to Paris. Like, no more of this, you living in Versailles, you have to have, poor thing, a palace in Paris instead. Like, they weren't really gonna, like, overthrow the king at that point they just want him held accountable that's what they wanted they wanted change and they wanted him to be held accountable and then you start having these like how far does the revolution go are we seeing the results that we want who do we listen to is violence the way to get to the end of it and i think we all kind of like get to july 1790 and that's where the romantic vision kind of ends like we have this great big party to celebrate what had happened a year before that and then in just a few short years you have the terror you have factions tearing each other apart you have civil war where people are dying and being massacred by a group that says its sole purpose is to give people equal rights but you don't get those equal rights if you don't agree 100% with them, which this just does not feel like liberty, guys. So to me, the women are a huge catalyst in the revolution, how it happened, how it unfolded. Some of them, <laughs> some of them were really fun writers. Some of them were actresses. Um, you just have women from like all different backgrounds kind of stepping in and and being a part of it or watching it with horror, you know, like you have the full spectrum there as you do with men. But they never like women never really get 
a foot up after the revolution. In fact, after the terror ends, after the monarchy is reestablished, after Napoleon takes power, women have less rights and have been pushed almost further back into that domestic private sphere. In some ways, to me, it feels like in retaliation of the fact that they were like willing to stand up for themselves and ask for something more. And now it's like this, oh, shit moment. Like, they'll grab cannons. Let's make sure they don't do that. Can't do that. (laughs) That's how it felt to me. So it's, and that was actually something one of my professors pointed out to me. It was like the fact that even though women were such a pivotal part of the revolution, that they were probably along with Jews and people of color, you know, the people yeah. who still struggle all the time. Yeah, yeah, and and the poor in general. But um, there there are thereafter degrees um, of, of suffering with sort of mini groups within groups as well. Um, and yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you so many you know important points that you bring up. Um, it's <laughs> thanks. I, yeah, I've I've often wondered about you know the French Revolution because they sort of got rid of the king um, and then they mm-hmm. had an emperor. And then and it kind of makes you think, OK, what, <laughs> what, what was the point, guys? You know, it's just you've changed the name of your football team. OK, and um, yeah, yeah, there wasn't really, as you say, there wasn't any real substantial change. Um, also, when you were talking about how so basically in July 1789, so they stormed the Bastille. OK, this is the men they've been they've sort of been forced by, you know, the situation, hunger, lack of representation, no real possibilities Mm -hmm. of sort of future improvement. And they see that the the aristocrats doing whatever the hell they want, they spend all this money, lavish and so on. Um, And they said, no, we can't take this shit anymore. Um, We have to change something. So they change things. But then what happens sort of true to the male psychology, I guess, is that, um, um, Motion has a certain forward propulsion, but then it stalls Mm -hmm. at a certain Mm -hmm. point without Mm -hmm. actually Mm -hmm. fulfilling the objective because they've been diverted, haven't they? It's then then that Mm single-mindedness of the feminine content which reminds them, hey, guys, that's not we didn't come here for an extra loaf of bread. There's Mm -hmm. something else. Yeah. Mm it's that more than that. that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, how how much of that do you think? Um, how much of the French Revolution do you think would have succeeded had the women not taken that stand? As in, do you think we would today be considering the French Revolution as this huge event in mm. the history of Europe without that sort of march? Wow, that is such a good question. Um. I'm going to say yes, because we have certainly seen, like, popular uprisings prior to this that women were more than likely a part of. Like, I don't really think that we can look at any kind of popular popular uprising and say that women exclusively kept themselves out of it. But whether they were recorded in those moments or not is another story. I think we're fortunate to know about women's representation at this time, even though it is still a really small part of the records that we know of 
for this time period. Like, they aren't, they haven't been a focus as much as they have started to become a focus, especially in like the last 30 years, I'd say, and academic writing in particular. Um, but one of the really disappointing things is how often like their story ends with, and her story is lost to history at this point. Like we know about her for just a moment and it's usually because of her attachment to a male figure of power and then once those two separate, it very often becomes like she's just, we don't know what happened to her after that. Um, so I think it's more like, would we think about it in the same way? Would we think about the rights of others in the same way had women not been involved in the revolution? I think, I think the American Revolution is actually a really good example of that. Um, because I... <laughs> I like to compare the two of them. Like to me, the American Revolution is like a fist fight in the parking lot after a football game, compared to like what happened in the in the French Revolution. We were really lucky, like that. A lot of what happened for us just came down to straight up luck, and the representation of who was involved in creating what we now think of as our country was and continues to be incredibly limited to class, race, gender. So we're actually built in a way that kind of keeps everyone out of it and have been since the beginning. Women were just able to be louder because of their population densities. Like like I said, Paris is a huge city at this time. You have all of the outlying areas. Some of them are just not having it, which is why you then have civil war. But the United the United States, the colonies at the time, they're so spread out. There's maybe 600,000 people, I think, in Virginia. Like the entire span of what was known at Virgin, of, as Virginia at the time. So... How are you going to get all of those women together, any people of color together? How are you going to have an uprising when you can't have people in proximity? So, again, this is just like it's like that perfect storm moment. We're just really fortunate because there were enough men at this point who actually agreed with women and people of color that their plight needed to be every bit as important as the one that they themselves were fighting for. And I don't think if we would have had those agreements from men that we would see those women the way that we do. Does that kind of answer your question at all? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it probably answers that and a couple more. And uh, Okay, we'll let, okay, we'll good, let, good. <laughs> we'll let other people work out the details. Um, cool. Yeah. One thing which I sort of note, we'll, I think we'll talk about a few of the individual women involved as well at some point. We don't necessarily have to go into extreme detail, but we'll talk about a few of them. Um, one thing which I noticed, with the exception of two of these particular mm -hmm. women, and, and we will speak about them as well, there was, history refers to them, um, I think, somewhat disrespectfully because they are introduced and then they will say yeah this is the daughter of the popular finance minister jack necker for example uh -huh. or mm -hmm. this is the woman and she with her husband moved from Lyon, or you know mm -hmm. 
these references are I, I feel they have to be revisited so as you said it's important to reiterate that we still don't know enough about how many women were you know notably involved within uh, the period of the french revolution every i think as you say every new sort of paper brings out a certain number of additional participants and we find mm -hmm. out more about these people i would love to hear more about them referenced simply in their own right as participants of the french revolution yeah me too <laughs> there are there are few there are just a few. Um, the one that jumps to mind immediately is Charlotte Corday. Um, she is legit one of my favorite historian or like <laughs> stories throughout this whole thing because she leaves from her her location in Caen. I'm pretty sure. And if I'm mispronouncing anything in French, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Um, but she leaves from there. She comes to Paris. And she gets these forged documents so that she can be introduced to Jean-Paul Marat, who was a radical writer, and he had this terrible skin condition, so he spent a lot of time in his bath in his bathtub, and she stabs him to death in his bath because she's like, you are ripping apart this country, you need to be shut up, nobody else is going to do it, so I'm going to do it. But she's not married. She has no children and her family is basically unknown. So she gets to stand alone, but she only gets to stand alone for that one moment. And then I'm pretty sure she's executed three days later on my birthday. Um, there are a lot of weird things that happen on the French in the French Revolution that are on my birthday. And I love it. There are all kinds of weird, dark things that have happened on my birthday. Um, so we get her for a moment and then she's just like snuffed out immediately and then nothing but she, but she leaves a considerable impact because she's, she's tried extremely in, in this uh, you can't have a more biased trial i think but she's trying <laughs> no yeah and the thing is the people who are then sitting in judgment upon her expected her to simply apologize to beg for mercy to say sorry i don't know what happened to me he told me to do it blah 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 mm -hmm. um this is what they expected but she came out and she lamb blasted them the whole yep. time and she basically said somebody had to do it none of you men were man enough to do it yep. so i stepped up and did it because for the reasons that you gave mm -hmm. and from what i the little that i've read um the entire courtroom, if you could call it that, were shocked. Apparently, they were terrorized. <laughs> they, they, they couldn't believe, they simply mm -hmm. couldn't believe that this woman had acted alone in such a decisive manner without any input or influence from mm -hmm. a, a man. Yeah. Yeah. And the unfortunate thing about that is so many of the revolutionary women condemned her. They were like, this is this is such outrageous behavior. And then they went ahead and painted her as being anti-feminine, which we all know is like the most heinous crime a woman can commit is to not be feminine. <laughs> um, so <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Um, I'm not really sorry. My no. snark sometimes gets a, a little ahead of me. Um, it's it's so. It's so unfair how 
in this case with the French Revolution, like coming back to how like women condemned Charlotte Corday as well as the men, that's one of the things that like makes it so that women aren't able to advance where they want to in the French Revolution. They had in particular economic interests that they saw very differently. And so <laughs> they like they didn't just butt heads and like have debates about this, they would fight, fist fight, physically fight in the streets fight over what they felt was the necessary advancement of government in France in order for everybody to have freedom. But everyone's idea of freedom at this point is restriction for one group. And so you can't, you can't have freedom where you have restrictions and you're not going to be able to like remove any kind of antagonism and friction unless you do have that level of equality. And we're still nowhere close. Like I have decided that these revolutions never stopped. We've had moments of stability. We're not done. <laughs> No, absolutely not. I hope not as well. Um, and actually, as you were speaking, a few thoughts came to mind. Um, you know, it's extremely unfortunate the way that um, Charlotte Corday wasn't supported uh, by not only um, you know other revolutionaries, but as you say, specifically women as well. It's it kind of reminiscent of where we are today with regards to Roe versus mm. Wade, that there are still <laughs> lots and lots of women who also accept Mm -hmm. um, the, the Supreme Court's judgment and say, yeah, that's fine because, you know, Christian belief and so on. And, um, you know, until there is, okay, it's very hard to get 100% universal acceptance of anything. And that's fair enough. And, and you know, if we are saying in a doc, in a, uh, sorry, democracy, then people have to be able to disagree. Of course, absolutely. However, it's unfortunate that women, um, in this case, we're talking about women, um, you know, cannot come together and form this absolute united front. Mm -hmm. um, and it's reminiscent of that kind of thing, unfortunately. Yeah, it is. Um, the book that we finished up, uh, the Rebecca Traster book, I learned so much from it. And one of the things that really kind of stood out to me was how often black women have like led the charge for civil rights moments that then white women attempt to come in and take over instead of like accepting them as being the experts, as the ones who have stayed in the fight instead of the people who are new to it, who are coming in and trying to kind of like overtake it. And so you have these ideas that if, the rights being spoken for aren't your rights, don't represent you, just you, that they're not worth fighting for. But the truth is, we have to all work together. We have to be able to be united. And we have to kind of like agree that what we really want is to just be treated like human beings. Like, let's just get to that point. Let's just treat everyone like a human being and see what kind of conversations we can have around that. Let's leave religion at the door. And let's just go off of like, how would you personally like to be treated? 
how would you like the people you love the most in the world to be treated? Let's treat them like that. Let's try that out. And let's, and, and as hard as it is, I am totally like, like I said, I need a good rage fest every once in a while. I have a lot of <laughs> anger that builds up in me. But I really do believe that having compassionate conversations yields better results than conversations approached through anger and shame, belittling and restrictions. So I feel as though we need to have those conversations. We need to be able to reach across the facts that like we're still really fractured. Like these, these poor women who do not see abortion as healthcare for everyone. I know they feel sorry for those of us who do believe the way that I believe that abortion is healthcare, that it is essential healthcare. I feel bad for them. It's, it's gotta be really painful to live in a place where you feel like you have the right to oppress other people. Like that has to feel kind of heavy and weird, like not to like speak on their behalf in any way, but just like a reminder of compassion. They think they're doing what's right. They think they're saving murdered babies. So I can see that. But shut the fuck up because it's not your choice. And this isn't a theocracy. So Christianity should have nothing to do with the decision that's been made. Like, there are several religions that don't see life beginning until birth. So we're just going to trample all over their religious rights in a country that we are like, religious freedom! For the Christians. Sorry. Oof. I was Christian. Not fun. It's not a fun place to be. It's mean. I don't like it. That's not every Christian, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Look, empathy is, you know, one of the sort of, I, I think, fundamental tenets behind any kind of community. As you say, it's um, just because it's somebody else's right does not mean we should not also get involved and support them. Yeah. Uh, you know, for example, yeah. Black Lives Matter, you know, extremely supportive. I'm not black, um, but I don't have to be black because I feel that, um, you know, black people throughout history have been treated extremely badly. They continue oh to be treated badly. Yep. Um, and nobody should be treated on the basis of the color of their skin or mm -hmm. there's their, any kind of uh, individual distinguishing factor. Mm -hmm. um, that they are worse, better, or this or that. Sorry, my phone is ringing. Um, you know, than any than anybody else. Mm -hmm. um, and so, absolutely, I'm going to support that uh, that movement, and and all the other movements. As I'm, I would say that I'm a feminist. Uh, I'm not female. I'm pretty sure I'm not female. Um, <laughs> but I, but I'm a feminist, and uh, you know, if that makes me also woke, cool. I'm happy mm -hmm. to be woke. Why would I not? want to recognize the suffering of others right. and be willing to help them mm -hmm. raise their voices no yeah. more i mean i think it's natural i i i agree with you i do um i think a lot of our social conditioning pushes us away from that which is truly unfortunate uh for me like there's always this suit up and show up pull yourself up by the bootstraps kind of mentality, like this individualistic goal centric 
thought process, I guess I could say, that so many people seem to fall. I'm a product of it. My parents were both like that. Like, government assistance was, like, the worst thing you could possibly ask for. Like, oh, my God, how could we possibly leech off of other people's tax dollars? Like, oh, my God. Like, we made so much money. Mom, dad, come on. I don't want that anymore. Like, I want us to be able to have conversations around where we've come from, what we've taken in. I want people to be able to be like, you know what? My parents were wrong. They were really, really, really wrong. And I don't want to be that way anymore. I don't want my children to be that way anymore. Like, but it's hard. It is hard to say you're wrong. Like, it is the number one thing I feel as though Americans learn how to do is how to shirk responsibilities. Sorry, America. I said it. And we need to stop it. We need to stop it. And I don't want to see any more fake accountabilities. I don't want that because I want your actions to show it. I want you to step back from all the shitty things you were doing. Make yourself a true member of the community that you were oppressing in some way and fucking redeem yourself don't cry for a few minutes on tv and then get a fucking book deal i'm sick of that shit what were we talking about did i totally derail this i feel like i totally derailed this okay no so i'm i i I love passion um, (laughs) especially when it's directed in that way Um, thanks thanks. yeah Let's bring it back to the Salonier, though, yeah, oh, because sure. I do I do want to talk about a few of these people. Um, oh, please, um, yeah. Before we we get on, to, so you because I mentioned before that there were two women at least who I have um, sort of focused on who were not in any way associated primarily with men. One of those was Charlotte Corday. We'll come back mm-hmm. to another one of those later on because I I believe her to be one of your favorites too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but we'll speak about that later. Some of the other people then, who do you um sort of want to talk about or if you want I can chuck in a name but I mean who would you like to talk about um I'm I have become really fascinated and I'm gonna do what you said that I shouldn't do but I'm gonna do it anyway because this is how bad it is Madame Roland uh Philippe Hmm. Philippe Manon I think is her her husband oh is that is that her husband no 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 no, I, I I only written down her husband. I didn't even want to give him a name. <laughs> uh, no, I believe that <laughs> that might be her name. Let okay. me look real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's how I mean, that's how she's known. Like in all the literature, the moment you get to her, she's always Madame Roland. Yeah. Um, that's and so she's known down. by her. Yeah, she's known by her husband's last name. And this is something I find kind of tragic about the erasure of women in history is that like once you take your husband's name you no longer have your own and your record completely changes and in some cases that completely wipes it out like I did research on yearbooks from one of the high schools here from like 1928 1930s and all of the women for the PTA were Mrs. Charles Smith Mrs. William Jones, like none of them even had their first names in there. And I was like, why? So I and here I am doing it. I'm sorry, Madame Roland. I will be better in the future. Um, (laughs) But I think the really interesting thing about her is that. She does not come from a super wealthy background, 
Um, her husband has kind of worked his way up through the political ladder and just kind of happens to be in the right place at the right time. But she is, she's historically known as like this huge influence in almost everything he did. Like some of his writings are thought by some historians to belong to her. Like he read over them and was like, yeah, 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 that sounds great. You know, like, so she's kind of that behind every strong man is a strong woman, blah, 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 bullshit. But I mean, how powerful could she have been on her own? Like if she were the one delivering her own impassioned words to people who would hear them instead of through her husband, who was mediocre at best, which also seems to be a trend. Mm-hmm. <sighs> anyway, the super interesting thing about her is that she did believe that women still belonged in the private sphere. She didn't feel as though they belonged in politics. And yet here she was, the Salonier who's hosting political figures and philosophers and writers and is, spoiler warning, executed <laughs> when one of the groups that she belonged to becomes more extreme than the group that she remains in. And they round her up with her husband and they are all guillotined. Mm. Yeah. Well, one of the people that uh, used to frequent her salons, as you say, was the uh, Jacobin leader, Maximilien Robespierre. Robespierre. Yeah. This, this bastard um, of the revolution, <laughs> I think, and who got his comeuppance as well. But anyway, that's a different matter. But yeah, you're right. And my research uh, suggested that she was heavily a writer she mm-hmm. didn't like making speeches. She also wrote many bills, I believe, which mm-hmm. were then discussed in the assembly. So, um, you know, looking at some of the literature nowadays, which is produced by Parliament, most people wouldn't understand it because it's uh, half of it is bullshit anyway. But um, <laughs> you, you need to be able Badly. to, yeah, you've got to speak or write or be able to write in this very, you know, complex manner. So therefore, yeah. you know, as you say, a talent. Uh, that she was. Yeah, like she she was quite she was quite the writer. And I think one of the things that I really want to get, she I think she wrote a biography about herself while she was in prison. And so I need to see if I can get my hands on a on a reproduction of that because I I fill my shelves with things like that. I love reading firsthand accounts of people who've been a part of moments like this she's definitely one that i would want to have okay there are a couple of others who are um not necessarily as perhaps famous as madame Roland, but then again maybe they are i don't know um you would know better than i so the the uh, the daughter <laughs> of the finance minister germain de Stahl, i don't know how that's pronounced um You'll probably pronounce it better than I will, so thank you. I don't know. I, don't know. I, I, I wouldn't want to uh, you know, come down on either side. But um, she attracted lots and lots of popular men of the time. So Thomas Jefferson, mm-hmm. Lafayette, mm-hmm. Thomas Paine, uh, the Governor Morris. Um, and apparently Morris also uh, wrote something called The Diary of the French Revolution, in which he made lots of observations of these salons. I presume this is mm-hmm. also one of the sort of source materials for you know, a lot of mm-hmm. the stuff that we know of today about how these things were. Um, yeah. 
but yeah, again, another interesting woman, um, always again represented as the daughter of her father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in this one, like her her lineage is actually like as, as hard as it is to be defined on your own in certain situations. In this one, it almost gives her credibility, like. She's not just writing and talking about things. She's in the room when these ideas are being discussed and then presented to be turned into law. So, and I mean, not to say that Madame Roland was not in a similar position, but like she's in this like from the beginning. And so she has access to all kinds of people. Her father does like lose popularity with the king and is booted from his position and everything but it didn't stop her from continuing to entertain and as a sonier and she also wrote quite a bit um i just (laughs) i'm such a nerd um there's this really great bookstore in town here where i live and i they have this really big french section like French history section so I like to get on the big ladder and climb up and down so I can like see what everything is and they had some of her translated works on the shelf and I was like mine like (laughs) I haven't had a chance to really dig into it and I've really only read bits and pieces of her source material in like other pieces of like secondary readings that I've had to do for coursework and whatnot but she definitely strikes me as being much more conservative. So, like, she's another woman who's going to... And I, I would have to double-check that because I feel as though... I can't remember for sure if she was, like, pro-women's rights or not. Do you happen to remember? I don't know. Um, but judging by the individuals who sort of frequented her, I would say that she was probably a bit more conservative, a bit more traditionalist. Um, but that, mm-hmm. again... Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't want somebody to quote me on that necessarily. Right. So I'm like, I've done a lot of reading about her, but there, I mean, seriously, there are so many people and a lot of them go through like these transitions of thought, like not a, a woman, but someone I know about because I research, researched a woman, uh, the Duke d'Orleans, I believe he was like the first cousin of King Louis the 16th. He like, was like, I am no longer a noble. I am Philippe Egalitarian or something crazy like that. First man of the people. Like, you don't turn coat much more than that. (laughs) (laughs) So people are always going through, like, these transitions and kind of changing their opinions. Robespierre is actually a really good example of a person like that who goes through some really stark changes with, severe and bloody consequences and a lot of these women are present to see what happened and are also recipients of his change of mind change of heart like if Robespierre had not gone in a more uh, liberal more revolutionary direction Madame Roland may not have been executed. We might have been able to avoid the terror, but there were a bunch of people who really didn't know what they were doing because examples of government like this barely existed still at this time. So power vacuums here, power vacuums there, your economy is all over the fucking place. Like 
no one knows what the fuck they're doing. And so we just start killing everybody. And then you're like, you know, remember that monarchy we had? Oh, my God. That was so good. <laughs> yeah. Can we just can we just do that again? We're so tired. <laughs> and this is exactly what they did, isn't it? Um, yeah. With, uh, yeah. With Napoleon Bonaparte. But um, and I mean, I don't blame hmm. them. Like, that's at least a decade of bloodshed and instability and uncertainty. And at that point, it's probably like, I would just like to live now, please. That's all I wanted in the first place. Could I just, could I just have that? Mm. So it's, I think your comfort zone frequently dictates which path you choose to take. And I feel as though, like for you, like identifying as somebody who supports Black Lives Matter and identifies as a feminist, to put yourself out there vocally and publicly can in some ways put you in a position of danger. And I think anyone who like takes that role on should be commended. Like we need more outlets for more voices who speak for more compassionate ways of communicating and also advocate for the knowledge of the history that has led us to so many terrible places and how we can potentially overcome those things. Like I'd like to believe it's possible, but I also like heavy duty challenges. So <laughs> maybe it's just my optimistic nature. It's well, I hope it's more than just your optimistic nature, but I mean, again, you touch on some really interesting, you know, points the comfort zone element of a revolution. So when I was studying politics, the principle was raised that you can start a revolution, but you'll never know where it finishes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, as you say, lots of people during the French Revolution or any revolution, you know, they do the hard bit, mm -hmm. but then they lose their their nerve, as it were. They've been mm -hmm. out of their comfort zone for so long. They look or seek for some kind of um, area of comfort, which would be, uh, you know, finding uh, refuge in in an authority of some description. Yeah. And, and what do we do? We go back to the traditional element of things. And yeah. this is what I sort of equate this with is um, uh, a marriage which is going wrong. Uh, one of the, the, the partners or the participants is being abusive to the other one. The other one begins the process, leaves the home, goes, gets through a divorce. And then after a couple of years thinks, oh, I want that again because um, I can't handle being on my own. Um, and I feel as though, you know, why? You've made mm -hmm. all that effort. You've broken free. Mm -hmm. um a couple more steps belief in yourself a little bit more mm -hmm. and then and then you'll be fine and i think society in many cases has also had to endure this unfortunate um lack of belief mm -hmm. if we don't have a government which is based upon i don't know um you know the roman um uh, principles or if we don't have uh, monarchs who rule by divine right or if we don't mm -hmm. have this or that traditionalist Christian establishment, then who knows what will happen? Mm -hmm. And it's that fear of the unknown, once again, which bites tragically and prevents us from evolving politically and socially. Um, I don't really think. I don't really think that that's the case. Um, I think what I what was coming to mind while you were talking about that is just like how 
how we are socially conditioned in some ways to behave and whether or not it's it's those things and the way that we're kind of kept in those boxes that keep us from exposing uncomfortable truths and i think i think those of us who are comfortable have to be willing to get uncomfortable and put ourselves out there in order for what feels like the norm but isn't the norm at all to get flipped all the way over because we just see like we just did a, a discussion around like the me too movement it's like my entire lack of knowledge around it um which is slowly improving but how it could only come to light that this pervasive patriarchal abuse was happening because so many people were willing to stand up and unfortunately because powerful white women stood up for it too like that's when we started listening it wasn't it wasn't when people women of color were crying because they couldn't get out of abusive relationships it was because influential powerful wealthy white women were like yeah me too and thank you for something to make that more public but now i kind of fear we're kind we're forgetting about it again and have we done enough have we pushed hard enough because like you said we get to a certain point and then we just kind of pause and if we want to see actual change we can't we can't pause like that's that's what I feel like it is, is we start, we stop, we start, we stop. And every time I feel like we get just, we're just a little bit closer, we're just a little bit closer. And I just want like far more representation of what it actually means to be a human being than what we are expected to do, to live, to have, to consume, like, we're pressured enough. It's a painful world to live in. And maybe that is part of it. Maybe it's the fear of not being good enough, of not being able to be intelligent enough to stand up and speak for what you believe in. Like how much of what we desire to become is created by an ideal that has been created by someone else for us. And how hard is it to break out of that? So I think we're just asking ourselves a lot of the same questions about social constructs that need to be just completely dismantled. I think it's possible to do it with minimal bloodshed. I think it is possible. <laughs> Has that happened? No, 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 nope. Rarely, rarely. Mm -hmm. in, I think there have been, perhaps, for example, the fall of the wall um, mm -hmm. in, in 89. Um, yeah. So, as in, you know, there are some events in history that we can perhaps look to, but as you say, unfortunately, the vast majority of these, you know, huge uh, sort of social change events have necessitated uh, the spilling of blood. Mm -hmm. um, again, this is, and it sounds strange to say, but this is also a romantic ideal that freedom is something which we are, we should be willing to die for. Mm -hmm. Actually, sorry, guys, freedom is something we should be willing to live for. I agree. 
Yeah, and I, I do believe that's the approach we should take. Um, but yeah, your observation that again, for example, with regards to the Me Too movement, it's stalled somewhat. I, I'm completely with you. I think we still don't have the full story behind the Jeffrey Epstein um, mm-hmm. episode because mm-hmm. that goes back years. It's not limited to Hollywood. This is mm-hmm. this pervaded every part of society. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where's the rest of the story there? Um, it reminds me of the movie Untouchables. Um, Sean Connery, fantastic. Yeah, that's um, one of my favorite movies. <laughs> yeah. But that question: How mm-hmm. far are you willing to go? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in in all of these kinds of situations, I feel that's the one question that has to be asked at the beginning. Because if you're mm-hmm. willing to really make a change, then you have to be willing to go that whole way. Um, and I think sometimes we're really not. We think mm-hmm. we are but we're not, we should be. Yeah. And I, I think it's a process. Like, I think, I think we can't, we can't look at what we're doing and saying, oh, I'm not doing enough. If you are thinking about it, if you are talking about it, if you are making an attempt to change your thought process around it, like whatever it is, like, I know there are a lot of things changing in our society right now, and it feels really scary, but it also feels really fun. Like, how vibrant and gorgeous is the world we live in? Why? Why are you trying to restrict people from being their true, beautiful selves? Like, stop that. That's just, it's not necessary. It's not necessary. Like, more than enough people will fall into the quote-unquote traditional normal things because, you know, some of those things are really good. Some of those things are just how it is for a larger group of people. But maybe it'll be a more compassionate group of people for the people who aren't, like, seen as the quote-unquote norm, if that makes sense. I just... uh I just think it's silly. I think it's limiting. I think it's short-sighted. Stop stop oppressing people. It's just unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. I, I wish it were what's, that simple. What's the point? Yeah, I yeah. really just want to yeah. be like, what? what's the point? What's the point? What do you get out of this? How is it beneficial for you if everyone in your country who you depend on is sick, stressed out, can't get to work because they can't afford gas? Like... How does that benefit anyone? How does the 725 minimum wage, federal minimum wage in the United States, how does that benefit anyone? And how are people like, oh, just just work harder? My friend. Unbelievable, isn't it? It's, it's painful. It's really painful how how often what is said lacks a recognition of other people as just being human beings. Of recognizing that you can try as hard as you want, and it doesn't mean that you're able to pay your bills. It doesn't mean that you can cook food for your family at night. It doesn't mean that you can even have access to food. Like, there are a lot of things that are really broken. There are a lot of things that people are getting angrier and angrier about, and it's concerning, without a doubt. Um, But not going to lie, like, I'm... I'm here for it. <laughs> like, I don't, it's part of the reason for building a media company. 
Like, there's more than enough bullshit out there. I'm really kind of tired of it. Like, I do a lot of tech stuff for Road to Tarval, and I actually really enjoy it. And I am, no offense, Zach, I am really, really, really tired of seeing the same open-mouthed guy, like, pointing to the technology he's going to explain to me on every YouTube thumbnail. I would like some, I would like some, some women to start doing some technology tutorials on YouTube, or maybe like YouTube needs a better algorithm or something. I don't know, but it's really disappointing how often that is all you get for your content. I love that you open it up to other people, like full support of that. I think it's brilliant. And you're such a good listener. Oh my God. You, you know how to listen. You act, ask such thoughtful questions i think you're doing a great job thank you it's very kind yeah to see. you're welcome <laughs> i mean i know you needed my seal of approval and everything uh, but uh no just kidding I, that, that, that's <laughs> this is the the authority that i was you know dreaming for um, i know i know i know yeah um a couple more people then because we've already sure. pushed on and uh, well a couple more issues uh, there's more than that maybe we'll today yeah, yeah, will be a bit longer yeah. than normal yeah but uh just quickly before we get to my favorite and also because she's probably got the most cool name <laughs> i think you, you probably know who i'm talking about but before we get to her sophie de condorcet yeah so again mm-hmm. another person who was associated with her husband even though i've removed him from any of my notes mm-hmm. um this is a, a woman who argued for full admission of women to civil rights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. she's also considered as being somebody who was very popular because of her kind heartedness. She was apparently beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. she's not an elitist like Madame Roland. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this mm-hmm. is one of these uh, individuals. She always included other women which is also not necessarily common among the hostesses of the Salonier, notably mm-hmm. the woman who I want to speak about later on, Olympe de Gouges. Oh, yeah. I love her. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's what, this is what I'm talking about. She's she, my favorite. Of yeah, these. yeah, yeah, yeah. Research on her is hard to find. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But Madame de Condorcet, also a writer um, and mm-hmm. wrote the letter on sympathy, um, and was a translator and commentator also on Thomas Paine, mm-hmm. American uh, revolutionary political students would know quite a bit about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't know as much about her as I know about her husband, unfortunately, because his writings are the ones that are used as primary source materials more frequently. Um, but they are like one of the few, I, I mean, I really don't know, but they, they feel like one of the few, if not the only couple of working as equals, which is very unusual in this time period for a man to acknowledge his wife's abilities, her humanity that just because she is female does not mean she is lesser than him. And for him to be like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was also like, he was a, he was an abolitionist. So was she like, and unfortunately poor Thomas Paine, his legacy has been kind of lost in history in a different way too. I won't go, I won't go on that, but I do think it's really cool that she like took that role on 
to and I mean think about how you would dissect something as you're translating it in a time period like this where the writing that's coming across your desk is really thoughtful like life-changing potentially she lived mm-hmm. through the revolution. She also re- lived through the Napoleonic years. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think that in itself is also an argument for somebody who is not elitist, who was happy to mix with you know a variety mm-hmm. of individuals and didn't put herself above others. And that's why perhaps she kept her neck while many of her contemporaries didn't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe she just knew the right people to talk to. <laughs> In so many cases, that really was what it came down to was like, who do you know? And can that person be persuaded to help you out of prison, maybe get like a pass on your execution? And it was a very politically dangerous time. And anytime someone survives, I'm like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> Because it's just, especially for, like, political leaders, there are a few that, I mean, I shouldn't say few. It was a machine that ate itself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, so that brings us to Olympe de Gouge, as I said. Um, love her. Love what she represents. Great name as well. Right. Um, it's brilliant, isn't it? She, um, she gave herself that name. Really? <laughs> Oh, this is her stage yeah. name. Is it her writing name? Okay. Uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Nom de plume. Is that is that how you say it? Her uh, pen name. Okay. Okay. Pen. okay yeah. Um, so, but a, again, a writer. Um, I think she also was an was an actress, but I, I can't remember necessarily. But uh, I don't think. She, no, not her. Am I mixing her up with someone? Um, I believe Pauline Leon is okay. the, the actress. actress. Okay, um, but Olympic de Gouge wrote the Declaration of Rights of Woman and mm-hmm. of Female Citizen mm-hmm. uh, in 1791, mm-hmm. um, and this was uh, a little bit in response to some of the the demands of the French Revolution, where they wanted to essentially increase or expand the citizenry. And she was mm-hmm. saying, "One minute, more mm-hmm. than 50 percent of the people here are women, so mm-hmm. if we're not citizens." Who the hell has the right to be a citizen? Mm-hmm. Yep. Brilliant. Right. She was the daughter of a butcher, if I remember correctly. Like, she comes from a really humble background. And she was just, like, not having it. And I love that about her. I feel like there's there's either, like, a piece of folklore, maybe it's historical fact, I don't know, like, a brief encounter between her and Marie Antoinette at some point. Um But she's also a person we don't know a whole lot about. Like, I think the main writing we have from her is that Declaration of the Rights of of Woman. And she really wasn't asking for anything special. She just, she wanted, like, things to, like, allow someone to have a, a happy life. And also a life to be held accountable to the government that was being established. Like... She wanted to show that women could think up the ideas of their citizenry. And like a lot of places, it aligns very much with the one that was written before and the many, many, many other ones (laughs) that had been written at the time. Um, But hers stands out for being a representation of equal citizenry, including being part of the army, 
like being able to carry weapons. Uh, I can't remember if it's Claire Lacombe or Pierre Leon. Maybe it's even both of them because they worked together quite a bit. Like they were very militant as far as their persuasion techniques goes. I'm pretty sure one of them had to be pulled off of an opposing female who wasn't wearing the cockade or else she was going to like beat her to death. Like totally down, totally down to just beat the shit out of other people. It's fine. They were angry. They had every reason to be angry, but then Olympic gets like called out by the men making the laws at the time. And she's called an unnatural woman and she's imprisoned and she's executed. During the reign of terror. So again, she never really had the the opportunity of developing these ideas beyond um, yeah, the third or fourth year uh, right. of the revolution. Imagine what would have happened had they been like, you know what? This is a really good idea. We should. We're so dumb. <laughs> you know what, ladies? Yeah. Let's let's figure this out. People of color, yeah, we're being dumb. Let's all work together. Can you imagine how powerful like that kind of movement would be if you found a way to like compassionately incorporate people? I feel as though the stressor is on being compassionate because if you are if you do not have that, you are not going to be able to access the part of people's brains that actually works to make decisions, to access logic. Like when you are activated, when you're angry, your brain basically like freaks out and is like, I can't take this. And then you just don't make any sense. Like that's why everybody wrote their shit down (laughs) before they said it. Like you don't get in front of the national assembly. And I mean, some of them had their stuff memorized. So good for you guys. But, like, they were practiced orators. They came before them knowing what they wanted to say. And now that we don't have that in our current politics and whatnot, we're missing the part where we should be listening to each other. We just want to hear our own voices. And that's bullshit. It's bullshit. There's so many ideas out there that are way better than ideas I could ever think of in a million fucking years. And I'm so glad there are other people thinking them. I want more people thinking them. That's what I want. I want us to stop being dicks to each other. Tracy's personal slogan. (laughs) Yeah. In addition to that, we should also have more people listening to those ideas as well. And this is, I think, a part of the the issue of of what you're explaining is that we don't listen enough to to these people, to these voices. A person that I I have recently been learning more about is Anita Hill. Um, And she was asked to come in and basically just give like a testimony about Clarence Thomas before he became a Supreme Court justice. She wasn't on trial for any reason. She was just being brought in as part of the confirmation process. But the way that she was treated through the media, the way that she was belittled, like why didn't she come out with these sexual harassment allegations sooner if it had actually happened like she was really just kind of thrown under the bus treated really badly for coming forward about abuse and being worried that this man 
was going to be assigned to the highest court in the country. That was her motivation. She was worried. And I think that's what we're we're lacking right now is this concern for the well-being of other people. And I think she's, she does a really good job of exemplifying that. It's just tragic how she's been treated. And that over and over again. And not that it doesn't happen to groups of, of men and whatnot, but historically speaking, once once a group has power, they they just take that power and run with it. And unfortunately, a very masculine tendency is to dominate and destroy. So it's not like you need a balance to that. You need a balance to that. Like there are certainly moments where things like that are needed, but you can't have you can't have one without the other. You cannot have freedom for one while oppressing other people. And I think so much like the women of the French Revolution really wanted that. It would have been amazing if they could have all been on the same page. And I really just want to like maybe learn from their lesson, you know, there's so much to learn there. There's so much to uncover. And it's it's absolutely fascinating. And it's really unfortunate how few people really know like what these these women have done. Which brings us also to a group of women who we know very little about, the sans-culotterie, or without breaches, or the mm-hmm. sans-culottes in general. Um, but these were people who were the poorer driving force behind the revolution and who argued for social equality. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the women among this group uh, fought against um, the continued privileges and authority of the monarchy and the mm-hmm. Roman Catholic clergy, and they wanted these things to be um, abolished. Mm-hmm. Um but again, this is, I suppose, where you're talking about the turncoat element of Robespierre. Mm-hmm. Um, even though this group had been the driving force behind the French Revolution, him and the Jacobin Club grew too powerful and they turned against these, mm-hmm. these individuals too. Mm-hmm. Um, and after ni- 1794, they're not really sort of particularly influential. And apparently they don't come back again until the 1830s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's a shame, isn't it? It is. Yeah. I mean, out of all of the people who really needed help, it was them. You know? And this was another instance where one group of women is fighting against another group of women because in association with the Jacobin Club uh, is a group called the Orange, uh Mad Men. Yeah. Um, and the... Oh, gosh, I can't remember it. It's some really long name that's basically like female Republican citizens. And these women, like they wanted legislation to determine market prices for essential goods. And the market women were like, you can't do that. We will starve and die. But this group, this Republican Citizen Republic female girl. I wish I could remember the name of it, but seriously, it's ridiculously long and in French. Um, They were like, no, we're helping. We're helping. We're like holding we're holding the merchants accountable. We're telling them how much they can sell their stuff for. And they're like, no, you're telling us how much we can sell our stuff for. And we can't make a profit margin high enough to be able to take care of ourselves and our families. You are messing with our livelihood. And so 
they literally bash heads with each other. If they would have been able to see where they were each coming from, they could have perhaps been a united front and maybe the Saint-Colotier, if I'm saying that right, maybe they would still have been like a presence and making legislative change. But instead, they're just pushed down. They're just poor. They're just poor street women. Like they don't have they don't have money. They don't have an education. Like. What difference does it make? There are thousands of them. They're replaceable. And this is how like Robespierre literally that is how he saw people like he was of the mind that he could start seeing them as human beings again once the entire country was liberated. (laughs) Death to all for freedom. (laughs) Oh, it's so terrible. Um, It's a conundrum. To me, it's just a conundrum. It seems so simple. Be kind to each other. If somebody doesn't have food and you have 16 lace dresses, there's something wrong. Yeah, and what was it that uh, the the sentence that was attributed to Marie Antoinette? Why do they want bread? Give them cake or something like this. Um, I, if I'm not mistaken, that is actually, I think it's more of an urban legend. I'd have mm. to double check. Um, I think you're right, but it's attributed to her. It is. It is. Um, I actually, I kind of feel bad for Marie Antoinette. Maybe maybe I still live in, like, a bit of a romantic vision of her. But, like, it was fair, like, for them to call her things like Madame Deficit. She had no idea how much money she was spending. She just spent money because she was the queen and she could. She was a kid when she became the queen. She was, like, 17. Do you know what 17-year-olds think about? Not a budget. They don't give a fuck about a budget. They just want to have a good time. So that's what she did. No one told her no. She was the queen. Someone should have introduced her to marijuana on YouTube. And I think then. uh... (laughs) She would have been so much more chill. (laughs) Don't worry about my hair today. I just uh, I want my sweats. (laughs) My favorite Yeti thermos. Yeah. Um. It's just it's kind of shocking to think about how easy it was for these groups of people to just decide that their opinion was the only opinion. Everyone else's opinion was wrong. And it comes down to life or death. And I I really like that you say it should be like wanting to live for freedom. Like that's that's what I want. I don't want people to be sad. I don't want people to lose loved ones. I don't want our economy to suffer because we don't have a workforce. Like, we need to be taking care of each other, not ripping each other apart. And I just want to believe that, like, more conversations like this will continue to happen, that we will continue to learn how to, like, open up and be wrong (laughs) frequently. Like, there is a lot of stuff that I am hitting against that I'm like, oh, my God, I have been so wrong. And I just, like, I want to take it as an opportunity to learn. That's, like, my favorite thing to do anyway. So I think I think human beings are more often than not compassionate 
I think we want to take care of each other. I think we want to try and find our commonalities. And that's why we faction so hard is like we want that connection. And I think if we can change it, if we can change the conversation around it, maybe we won't have to drag weapons to institutional buildings to get our demands hired, you know? So that's my fingers crossed, mildly rose-tinted glasses, hope for the future. (laughs) Yeah. So hopefully a quiet social revolution of some thought some sort um wouldn't that be cool it would be <laughs> i mean you also raise a question which is um yeah i think in, important what is the point in if, for example in a community to be the one person who has the biggest home to drive the fastest car to have the best food when everybody else around you is poor um and starving what does yeah what does that give you as yeah. in i i cannot imagine how anybody could feel in any way comfortable within that kind of a, a scenario. You, no, I don't, I don't get it. Like m- maybe if I were born into wealth, my mind frame would be very different, but that has never been my life and I'm fine <laughs> with it. Like it's finally getting somewhat comfortable. Um, I don't know. I feel like I had a thought and then I lost it. That's all right. Okay. In that silence, the thunder struck. So that's <laughs> Oh, how perfect. <laughs> oh, yeah, it has darkened up behind you, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. So it's, uh, it's cool, though, to see what's going on. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Tracy, that's an hour and over, well, an over an hour and 20 minutes. Um, so that's way beyond what we normally, uh, what <laughs> I normally do. You are comfortable. You can do like these, you know, mammoth one and a half, two hour sessions. I'm just not, you know, not sure. Yeah. My brain goes to pudding after about an hour and a half. And I'm not going to lie, like recording days are also hard nap days. <laughs> okay. It's exhausting, but I love it. Like th- these are things that I love doing. Like I love being able to talk about ideas and to hopefully spark conversations with other people, have them research people that they haven't thought to research before. There are so many fascinating people in our history that just never get talked about. And it does all of us a disservice because when we only focus on the people who have done quote unquote great things that I think it makes us all feel kind of insignificant and like we're not a part of the world we live in. And that is so wrong. Like I love learning about common people, common people, quote unquote. Don't mind me. (laughs) My elitist self is showing. Just kidding. Um, but yeah, like I, I think the the stories that are coming to light, the public history aspect of study for history majors now, I think is really cool. Um, and I want to see a lot more of it. I think it gives us far more understanding of what it meant to live as a French person in the 18th century. And even before that, I mean, seriously, some moments were okay. But massive famine, terrible taxes, irresponsible nobles. Man, Louis the Fourteenth. It's not even Louis the Sixteenth's fault. It's Louis the Fourteenth's fault. Sorry. We'll get into that a different time if you ever want to talk about that. I'll talk yeah, about yeah. that with you. Yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Is, I'd love to. This is my favorite point in history. I spend a lot of time like reading and collecting for this area because it's just really, it's truly fascinating and like what it sparked off because 
you have the French Revolution, you have the Haitian Revolution, and then you basically have what becomes known as the century of revolutions that like spills out. And then Napoleon goes off and invades Russia and silly him. He brings along a bunch of soldiers who have enlightenment thoughts in their heads who share them with Russians. And then (laughs) Russia has its revolution and millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of people die. If you're going to do it, I guess go all the way. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Ended on yeah. that dark note. Is that what yeah. it is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, almost. I, but, but I'll, ah, I'll, sorry. Yeah, no, that's all right. That, that is a very dark note upon which to end. So let's try to make it a little bit enlightened. <laughs> sure. when, you, when you were explaining Le Terreur, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think uh, some people have referred to it as, do you know what part of the Wheel of Time I was reminded of? Ooh, no, tell me. Hindustan. Oh my God, it's like on repeat. <laughs> Can you imagine? As in, yeah, the terror. Can, what, do you think Robert have... Jordan, yeah, had this sort of concept in mind? Everybody just kills everybody in, and that's his dedication to the French Revolution. You know, if it's not for that, his experience in was it Vietnam as mm. a soldier? I imagine would have seen many all out well i shouldn't say many would have had the opportunity to encounter all out massacre from one side or the other um and maybe he saw it on repeat mm. and maybe it was something that like got stuck in his head what if as horrible as that is like what if that were the case so mm. i mean robert jordan has a dark brain he just does i love that about him i can totally <laughs> get behind it encourage it love it um and i do think he's like deeply impacted by several historical moments as well as his personal experience so it is possible i mean it's a pretty awful time period like in some ways i almost think of it as like the sean chen coming in Mm. you know like just you disagree with us death done out of here absolutely Put your head on a pike in the center of the square and everybody can just pass it as they're going off to work each day. That feels about right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And and to be afraid of uh, crazy names. So Mm -hmm. the the uh, the group or this sort of authority uh, which decided upon who would be guillotined or not um, the Mm. committee of public safety. Safety. What a name. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Oh, that scared the shit out of me. What what an oxymoron. I don't think you can have a more deadly like intention behind a group with such a gentle sounding name. Like they're thinking the safety of the republic. And for them that meant death by the thousands, like sending generals into villages and being like, "Well, if you're not going to be with us, just lining them up and killing them, putting them in boats in the middle of like leaky boats in the middle of rivers with their hands tied and just letting them drown to death. That happened. That was a thing. Like this was a really brutal time. And anytime you have a civil war, it's particularly devastating. These are people who live in your region who may be your 
relatives in some way and you have to make this choice and this is where our moral lines can sometimes take us where it's bloodshed one against the other so i would much rather just have them all sit down to a nice meal (laughs) maybe play like i don't know battleship or something like (laughs) i don't know yeah who why why kill thousands and thousands and thousands of people to get your point across. Like, seems a bit extreme. And that name, oh, that name. It is, uh, I think it's like when you see a scary looking uh, kiddies toy in a movie, you know, it's <laughs> Chuck, Chucky or something, whatever it's called. But yeah. Right? It's supposed yeah. to sound like disarming and friendly, like it's on your side. That's it. No. Yeah. No. Nope. Absolute worst. Ugh. But you know, as you said, Robespierre, he gets his, his comeuppance, if you will. His ending is actually pretty spectacular. I love that. Like he, I think he gets shot in the face. No, he gets shot. He gets imprisoned. He tries to shoot himself before he's executed, but he fails. And the bullet goes like out through his cheek. So they had to like tie his face back together and then put him on the cart and then take him to the guillotine. Okay. That, that, that's the second dark place that we're going to end Yeah, end yeah, on. sorry. To me, it's just it's like, check out this weird historical fact, and I'm all joyous about it. Um, but I get not everybody, like, is, like, weird like I am when it comes to... I'm, I'm really fascinated by dark history, like, the lengths that people will go to. I don't know why. Mm. I would never have guessed from that particular line, but... You uh, know, right? Now, now I know. <laughs> <laughs> when, I, when I was talking with Amber about the book that we're reading for paperback cabaret now. I was like, I started it and I'm looking and I go, I know how you die. I know how you die. I know how you die. And she was like, I've never heard a more Tracy description of a book. (laughs) Like it's good. But so far it's a really good book. It's really interesting. Like she does give believable, um, like backstories in some ways, like combining some of the stuff that's known. It was written in like 96. So it's yeah. oddly enough on the older side. I feel kind of weird saying that because that's when I graduated from high school, but <laughs> so it's a bit older and a lot of, a lot of the research that's come out, like I said, it, particularly in the last 30 years is much more female centric. And so I feel like there, there are things that could probably be changed about like the, the book itself, but we'll see. I'm I'm actually really eager to read it. I love anything that like fleshes something out like more for my my brain palace to romp through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's been it's been fun. I'm excited to read it. I think we're gonna start that one. Well, the episode that comes out today is finishing up Good and Mad, and then the one after that is a chat with my uh, French Revolution professor, and she kind of mm. gives like a really quick this is the lineup for the French Revolution. These are the reasons why it happened. And then we tried to talk about like the people and stuff for a minute, but we'd already talked for like an hour and a half. And I was like, it's going to take forever to edit this if we go past an hour and a half. And I love you. We could talk about this forever, but. <laughs> and then so like this last one that we did was me and Laurel and Mary all talking about like what we know, how we feel and like what we're hoping to kind of like get out of the book, apply it to what we know what we're seeing right now so it's fun i love reading it's like my favorite thing to do absolutely i completely agree with you and what what i've 
actively done in the last few years is chase after stories written by women mm. um, be- because you know whether we like to admit it or not there is a completely different perspective which is represented different insight um mm-hmm. different mode of storytelling yeah. um and if you've if all you've done whether consciously or not uh, throughout your life is read books written by men it's very interesting to then go into different perspectives of the different genders where you see a completely different kind of storytelling um and it is i feel fascinating so i'm expanding upon that and i I look forward to listening to your episodes as well because that will inspire more reading for me good as a result good yeah Yeah, um i know amber's talked about i know we've covered it in book club but the poppy war poppy wars yeah rf kwong it's on my list yeah it's good yeah it's so good it's so good and like for someone who likes history and fantasy you will love it you will love it i just let one of my friends borrow it recently and she's like oh my god tracy this book i love it i'm like i know right um but another one that i've read recently uh actually two i read jillian flynn's gone girl and um i've heard of sharp yeah sharp objects like gone Mm. girl became a movie with rosamund pike in it and yes, she's glorious in that movie and totally worth watching. Um, I think it's on Hulu right now. Um, and then the other one is Sharp Objects. And that's also a um, it's a TV series. They made a TV series on HBO. Okay. Yeah. The books are really good. The perspective is really interesting. Uh, the mental health attention that's received is fascinating um and i think that they did a really good job both with the movie for gone girl and with the tv show for sharp objects um and the last book that i Mm. would kind of recommend Mm. and this is a little totally off topic like what i would normally read um i read lady sings the blues it's billy holiday's autobiography oh okay it's delightful and heartbreaking okay yeah and i think it's really fascinating to read something written by a black woman living through the early 19th no early 20th century in america and then becoming this famous vocalist and all the things that she had to go through to be able to perform and where she couldn't perform and like her story is incredible and her music is like always on at my house at some point during the day it feels like like i've been listening to her for so long so i finally actually read her autobiography and i think it's really worth it like it's a very different perspective like you said finding a different perspective from different people's point of views and i felt like this one was really worth reading yeah okay it's on my list as well um yeah tracy i i always benefit from talking with you and amber um and hopefully also uh, in the future from your other co-conspirators as i referred to earlier heck yeah um, yeah and in addition to that to also get suggestions for reading material is brilliant uh, an absolute result thank you very much for your time um, thank you yeah and yeah i look forward to the next one we will uh, we'll do it it'll be fun at some point i'll get in touch with the gals and get it on the books and all the awesome. best bye two and a mic
Thank you.